politics, football, faith, and theology, you're listening to Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. Here I want to talk about uh, something that probably falls into the politics category. Uh, There's an article on the USA Today called Rural Americans Would Be Serfs If We Abolished the Electoral College. Now, something that most people, I think, don't know is that frequently headlines for articles published in newspapers or on news sites, even opinion pieces, the headlines are not written by the author of the article itself. The headline is usually written by an editor. And so whenever I read an opinion piece and look at the headline, I I try to forget what the headline said and just read the article um, and try to glean from the article itself what it's about. Because often looking at a headline can sort of bias you in in reading the article. And uh, sometimes if the person who writes the headline is not very uh, careful to reflect the arguments uh, honestly and correctly, the ar- headline can be very misleading and give you a, a very wrong impression of what the article is actually trying to argue. So I think that's something important to talk about. It's something not a lot of people do talk about. I've never uh, uh, heard much about it, but it's something that I've noticed time and time again. Uh, I first learned about it when I was in college writing for the college newspaper, and it's a practice that I saw there, both in news articles and in opinion pieces, but it's something that I've seen since then uh, in articles on websites like the USA Today or the New York Times. So I'm going to read this article to you and uh, <coughs> and explain why I don't think this headline is a good headline, but more than that, wh- why this headline actually shows a very disturbing trend all right, so again, remember, the headline is Rural Americans Would Be Serfs If We Abolished the Electoral College. This is by Trent England. So it says, If the, nas- uh, if the national popular vote drive kills the Electoral College, rural and small town... Uh, I guess this is, this is the subtitle. Maybe th- this one is maybe more likely actually written by the author. I'm not sure. If the national popular vote drive kills the Electoral College, rural and small-town Americans who supply our food and energy will lose their voice. Okay, so he starts out the article saying, now now we're about to get into the actual body, should rural and small-town Americans be reduced to serfdom? The American founders didn't think so. This is one reason why they created checks and balances, including the Electoral College. Today, that system is threatened by a proposal called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, or NPV. All right, then he talks about how rural America produces our food. That's important, all right. And then he says, History shows that city dwellers have a nasty habit of taking advantage of their country cousins. Greeks enslaved whole masses of rural people, known as helots. Medieval Europe had feudalism. The Russians had their serfs. Now, of course, the reason we're talking about rural America is because that's exactly what the national popular vote uh, involves, is the fact that rural areas uh, control a, a much larger... Uh, proportion of the country geographically, but big cities uh, control a much larger proportion of the actual population of the country. And so if we were to go to a national popular vote, then there would be far, far more influence 
in the big cities and far, far less influence in rural areas. And some people say that this is fair, that, you know, big cities have more people, so they should have proportionally more influence. But others say, as Trent England here is arguing, that rural America would lose its voice and that that's a really important part of our uh, federal system. So, okay, so, so he's, now he's mentioning historical examples where city dwellers have taken advantage of their, of their country cousins, he says. So we've got uh, the helots, slaves uh, in the Greeks, uh, medieval Europe had feudalism, and the Russians had their serfs. So those are the three historical examples he mentions. Now he says, credit the American founders with setting up a system of limited government with lots of checks and balances. The U.S. Senate makes sure all states are represented equally, even low-population rural states like Wyoming and Vermont. Limits on federal power, along with the Bill of Rights, are supposed to protect Americans from overreaching federal regulations. And the Electoral College makes it impossible for one population-dense region of the country to control the presidency. So he has mentioned three, three or four uh, uh, checks and balances here already, and the Electoral College is just one of them. Again, go back to the, the first paragraph. He says that the founders did not want Americans to be reduced to serfdom, and so they created checks and balances, including the Electoral College. So lots of checks and balances. The Electoral College is just one of them. So, so the point here is he is not arguing that if we were to get rid of the Electoral College, all of rural America would immediately be plunged into serfdom, right? Because even if we got rid of the Electoral College, we would still have these other checks and balances. It would just be a little bit weaker. In fact, he's not even saying that if we got rid of all of these, America would Im rural America would immediately be plunged into serfdom. He's just saying that that is what motivated the founders. Again, let me read the first couple of sentences. Should rural and small-town Americans be reduced to serfdom, the American founders didn't think so. And then, again, after he mentions these historical f examples, he talks about the founders again. Credit the American founders with setting up a system of limited government with lots of checks and balances. So he's not saying that this is necessarily the result that we will absolutely see, you know, plunging all of rural America into serfdom. Again, that's an outlandish claim that he is not making. What he's saying is the founders were motivated by some historical examples. They had seen what happened in Russia. They had seen what happened in ancient Greece. They had seen what happened in medieval Europe. And they were trying to find ways to protect America from that. And they pr provided many ways, the Electoral College being one of them. All right, so, so then he writes, this is why Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. Well, we all know what happened there. She, uh, she won the popular vote, but she lost the Electoral College. She didn't even campaign in Michigan. And, uh, you know, that's the, she, she didn't care uh, about the voices of a lot of rural Americans, as shown by the fact that she didn't campaign in, in some big, important rural states. Then, you know, she ended up losing Michigan. All right, California has already passed NPV along with 13 other states plus Washington, D.C., Nevada, with six electoral votes could be next. NPV only takes effect if it is joined by enough states that they control 270 electoral votes. So, so if you don't know about the NPV, it's a very, I'll explain it to you here, it's an interesting idea by, by people who want to get rid of the electoral college, but they know that passing a constitutional amendment is incredibly hard. 
And so the idea is if you can get enough states to agree, enough states to decide the presidency, so enough states that add up to 270 electoral votes, and if all of these states can just agree that instead of each of the states choosing their electors according to the vote of the people in that state, each state would choose their electors according to the national popular vote. Meaning, you know, if, let's say, let's say Nevada were to enter into this agreement, then even if uh, the voters of Nevada vote Republican, then, but if the voters overall, the popular vote went Democratic, then Nevada would choose the Democratic electors. The U.S. Constitution allows every state to decide how their electors are going to be chosen. It doesn't say that it has to be chosen by the popular vote in that state. They can decide however they want. It could be just the state legislatures, legislators choosing the electors directly. It could be you know any number of things. It could be a lottery. It could, there's no specification in the Constitution about how the electors are to be chosen. So they are perfectly free to do this. And it's, it's a, a, a relatively ingenious system, and it's, it's a legal way to get to the popular vote without going through the constitutional amendment process. Again, it is legal. Uh, he mentioned the possibility that courts could strike it down. I don't think they should, even if I don't like it. I, I agree with him that it's a good thing to have the Electoral College and that this would effectively get rid of it, but it's, it would be through a perfectly legal process, and there's no reason the courts should strike it down. All right, uh, and again, if that if that were to happen, then just you know maybe one state could change their minds, and then that would ruin the whole thing, and we'd go back to the electoral college. So that's why we don't need to worry too much about if this happens. All it takes is for a couple of states to change their minds, so they no longer have the two hundred seventy vote supermajority. All right, so the idea that every vote should count equally is attractive, but a quote often, oh, this is my favorite part of the article, a quote often attributed to Benjamin Franklin frankly reminds us that a democracy can be, quote, two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for lunch. <laughs> and I, lo I love this sentence here. City dwellers who think that meat comes from the grocery store might not understand why this is such a big problem for the lamb. I just love that snarkiness there. Um, and when you think about it, every check on government power, from the Electoral College to the Bill of Rights, is a restraint on the majority. All right, uh, but we're uh, digressing a little bit, because my point here is that he is not arguing that getting rid of the Electoral College would immediately plunge rural America into serfdom. Like I said, he's arguing that there's a reason for it. He's trying to tell us what the reason is. Uh, I think, actually... I would say one of the weaknesses of this article is that it doesn't talk about specifics. Maybe he doesn't really know what the specifics would be, and he doesn't want to speculate. But he's not speculating on what specifics would hypothetically happen. He's only saying what historical examples motivated the founders to set up the system they did. And so this headline, again, rural Americans would be serfs if we abolished the Electoral College. That's the headline that, re that you get on the USA Today. If, on Google, my search result says... Uh, Killing the Electoral College would turn rural Americans something, something, I'm assuming, into serfs. Uh, again, he's not saying that that's what would happen. And so this is a very misleading headline. Now, let's think about why. Uh, well, first of all, what's the effect of this? If you read this headline, you think, wow, that's a kind of outlandish claim. Let's see if he actually backs that up. You read the article, and you realize he didn't back it up. If you think that the headline was written by the author himself, 
you'll assume that he failed to back up the point that he was trying to make. But he wasn't trying to make that point. And so you're set up by this misleading headline. You are set up to disbelieve and disregard the whole article because it fails to support the claim made in the headline. So what's the reason that the headline was written the way it is? There are two explanations I can think. One is that it's just bad clickbait, that some author, that the editor is not motivated by trying to honestly reflect what the argument is. The editor is only motivated by trying to generate traffic to and the the most uh, extreme outlandish kinds of claims, the most sort of doomsday claims you could make are more likely to generate traffic. Okay, that's possible. But we know that political bias is a thing, even if we want to say it isn't. And, you know, if let, let's imagine that you are a an editor of the USA Today, and I don't, I, I don't know who the specific editor was, but I'm guessing that the, the editors who made the decision about what headline to write had some have some leftist bias. So if you have some leftist bias, you probably are still mad that Hillary lost the election. You probably think that democracy, you know, the purer democracy is always better, that the purest democracy is the way to go, and that the president should be elected by a popular vote. So you probably are completely inclined to disbelieve this article. So what would you do if you if you disbelieve this article? You would probably think of it as a pretty outlandish article. In your own mind, you would be sort of constructing maybe a straw man saying, oh, really, this guy thinks that the popular vote would plunge America into serfdom? Well, he didn't say that, but that's, you know, if you're reading it skeptically, that's what you might think. And then you think, you think that you're being completely unbiased, you think that you're trying to accurately reflect his argument, but what you do is you write down not the argument that he's actually making, but the straw man that you've constructed in your own head about his argument. And he does open the article, you know, I will be fair, he does open the article by saying, should rural and small-town Americans be reduced to serfdom? So if you just read that first sentence, and you're a little sloppy and a little biased and a little uh, sort of already inclined to create a straw man version of his argument, you might think, okay, so he's saying that if we abolish the Electoral College, rural and small-town Americans will be reduced to serfdom. That's the, the sort of the conclusion that you'll naturally come to if you're already inclined to be biased and to be skeptical of his argument and to create a straw man in your head. And I think, again, that's maybe another weakness. You know, maybe I, he shouldn't have led with that sentence. But it's pretty clear if you read the whole article carefully that he's not saying that's what would happen. He's saying that that's what the founders were sort of trying to avoid. That was, you know, they were looking at many historical examples. And, you know, remember, if we were to abolish the Electoral College, we would still have the Senate. It's not like we would just immediately revert to pure democracy where the, elect where the rural America has no say. We wouldn't. We would still have many of these checks and balances left if we just got rid of one of them. And so that alone is reason to think that he's not arguing that, this, that serfdom is what would happen. It's only a, an example that motivated the founders. So what happens when an editor creates a headline that reflects the editor's own bias and, and actually sets up a straw man for the readers. Because now everybody who reads this piece is going to be influenced by 
this straw man headline that the editor came up with, probably innocently, probably the editor didn't intentionally think, you know, I'm going to try to create a misleading headline, or maybe, I don't know, but but let's be charitable and say maybe this editor just thought that he was accurately reflecting this argument, but really he, he wasn't listening to it carefully. He's looking at it with some skepticism because it's written by, at least it takes a conservative position. I don't know what Trent England's other political positions are, but this is certainly a conservative position, you know, conserving something we already have, the Electoral College. It's associated with Trump's victory over Hillary and all that. So, so this leftist editor is probably looking at it with some skepticism and creating this headline based on that skepticism. And then all of that skepticism is sort of unconsciously transferred to the readers of the USA Today without even knowing it because we all think, we read this thing and we think that Trent England himself wrote that headline. And so what does this do? It suppresses suppresses the efficacy, the persuasiveness of conservative arguments. And when you have the USA Today doing this, when you have the New York Times doing this, and when you have the you know, all, all the big publications, maybe maybe with the exception of the Wall Street Journal, because um, I think their opinion editors are more conservative. But uh, th- th- when you have the majority of newspapers doing this, and of course, like, you know, we've got CNN, we've got MSNBC, who are, who are uh, very leftist. The overall effect of this is to create a very negative atmosphere for conservative ideas, where even if they will publish you, they will publish you with a misleading headline that suppresses the persuasiveness of your argument. And so it's a difficult time to be a conservative if you're trying to publish on these uh, these websites that sort of present themselves as unbiased. And, and even when they're trying to be unbiased, it's clear from this example that they fail, that leftist bias and conservative bias uh, will come through regardless of of how hard you try because again this person very well could have been trying to be unbiased and trying to write a headline that reflected uh, what he thought the article was actually saying all right that's enough for today um just be careful when you read headlines just be careful when you're reading an opinion piece written by anybody liberal conservative i don't care make sure that you read the article and disregard the headline until you've read the whole article and say, okay, did that headline actually reflect what the article was trying to argue? And if not, don't don't get all confused. It's because the headline was probably not written by the author. And then, you know, just write your own headline in your head. Again, you know, I don't know that this is the strongest article it's, uh, th- that's actually written here. Uh, there, there's a couple things I would have done differently, maybe try to talk a little bit more about what actual impacts could happen. Maybe maybe don't lead with that first sentence because it's a little that first sentence itself is still a little bit clickbaity. But uh, I think it's clear that what they've done to it by writing the headline they have is very unfortunate and unfair to to this article. And, and I haven't said anything, by the way, about my opinion on the electoral college. I, I well, I, I maybe said I tend to agree with Trent England, but I, I'm but even if I didn't. That's not the point. The point is that we need to give every argument a fair shot. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time.